Well, good evening. How you doing? Good, good. Well, I'm back. <laughs> Figured I didn't scare anyone off last time, so that's a good sign. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan Neighbor. I am uh, the lead pastor at a church in downtown Pomona called Mosaic. Um, I've been doing that for the last three years. Uh, before that, I was a part of a community called Mosaic Hollywood out in L.A. and uh, was kind of the director of artisans for that. I also work as a coach, uh, not a fitness coach, obviously, but a personal life coach uh, and a trainer with uh, organizations and ministries. And um, Pastor Sam is a good friend of mine, and uh, we've gotten to know each other the last couple years. Uh, he first started training my dogs, which was awesome. And uh, as I got to know him as... Uh, Friends and ministry and kind of comrades and what we're up to, I realized that uh, Sam is, Pastor Sam is probably one of the people that, when I think of the word integrity and courage, he exemplifies that. And just, I'm so, I am so appreciative of his heart and um, it's so obvious like how uh, that's um, creating so much great fruit here in Genesis. And I love being able to be here with you guys and uh, support what, what you guys are doing here. So uh, let's just start this evening with a word of prayer and we'll just dive in. Jesus, I, I just thank you for that time of worship, how we, we just get the privilege to connect to who you are and your heart and um, just how big and majestic you are. And I thank you that you call us into big, majestic lives and that you call us to um, live a heroic, um, creative-filled life filled with love and faith and hope. And I pray that tonight you would just be here in our midst as we have conversations around your word, your scriptures, God, that you would um, continue to speak into us, the people that you want us to become and the lives that you would have us live. Father, that, that you would bring into alignment the places that are out of alignment and that you would create within us um, a desire to look more and more like you every single day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, I do a lot of, like I said, one-on-one coaching and group coaching, and uh, a lot of my fellow coaches really enjoy um, really cheesy, cliche terms. You know, like the things that you see, like on a on a, something you put up in your living room or something like that. And I hate cliche terms. I just like can't stand them. I I run from them at all costs if I possibly can. And uh, a friend of mine on Facebook a few months back posted this phrase. And he said, what would you do if you knew that you could not fail? Have you ever heard that? Anyone heard something like that before? And I began thinking about that. There was something just so cheesy about it. It kind of grated at me. And I thought, that is an absolutely ridiculous phrase. So I, being the smart aleck one on his Facebook page, posted back, well, you know, I'd probably like in one single jump, jump to New York City because I wouldn't fail at it. I'd just jump and there I'd be. And then I'd swim across the Atlantic Ocean, have lunch in Paris, and then flap my wings back home to L.A. all in a 24-hour period because I wouldn't fail, right? And uh, that's a nice idea, but it's obviously never going to happen. And I realized in that moment, because so many people were also posting like, oh, that's deep, and I would go out my dreams, and I'd do this, and I just think, yeah, it would be really nice if we could live a life where we were promised that failure was never an option, but the fact of the matter is, it just is part of the process called life. <laughs> and as I was thinking about that, I began thinking about how every single one of us, we share something in common, is that we long to live a meaningful life. 
Every single human being. I believe, I believe that's part of the DNA that God has created us with, is that we long to have meaning in our lives. We, we long to have purpose for our existence. And at the same time, we long to have that meaning and purpose with as little risk and pain as possible. We, we, we want to live, live the most heroic life, if you will, the most meaningful life, to squeeze every ounce of life out of every single minute, and yet we want to do it without any type of pain or risk involved in it at all. I saw another like mug the other day and said something to the fact of like, you know, sing as if no one's listening, dance as if no one's watching, you know, love as if you've never been hurt before. And I thought that's ridiculous. Why would you sing if no one's there to hear you? Why 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 what's the purpose of dancing if no one gets to actually see you dance? What would be the purpose of loving if you never actually got hurt because you'd never know what love was? And I realized that part of our human experience is longing for an adventure, longing to go on this hero's journey, if you will, to, to live a meaningful life and minimize whatever risk that's available. And unfortunately, those things are like on opposite sides of the spectrum. They, they don't exist in the same world. And it's interesting that we as human beings keep telling the same story over and over and over again. In all of our artwork, and all of our literature, it's just different faces. And whether you've seen Luke Skywalker take on the dark side, or you've seen Indiana Jones take on the Nazis, or you've seen Harry Potter take over Lord Voldemort, whatever it is, it's just, it's the same story with different faces packaged in different ways. And it seems like the human story, that there's something within us, within our soul, that the story goes like this, I am designed to live a big, heroic, powerful life. And I get to face the dragons that come with that and overcome them so that on the other side, I turn out the hero. That my life looks different because I've been on this journey. Those are the stories that we tell. We, we tell the hero's story over and over and over again, just repackaged with different faces. We don't often tell the story of the person who did the 9 to 5, came home, sat and watched the TV, had some TV dinners, went to bed, rinse and repeat, Right? I mean, we, we might tell that it just wouldn't last very long and it'd probably get really bad ratings and would be off television rather quickly. We don't tell that story. We don't tell the story of the common person who chose to live small and insignificant. We, we just don't ever hear those stories anywhere because, well, they just don't have much meaning to us. And so the question is, how on earth are we going to live out this big heroic life with these dragons that are there? We'll just call them dragons. The, the things that, that we know we are supposed to conquer, the things that keep us from living the fullest life available, that thing or that relationship or that moment, that experience, that every time you begin to move forward in your life, you come up against it. And you have to make the decision. Do I go after the dragon or do I back down? Do I go and do I conquer and do I live the life that I know I was designed to live or do I back down? Because I think dragons in our story do one of two things. They either make us the hero or they stop us in our tracks. Those are the only two options. They either make us the hero as we push through them or they stop us. One of two ways. Either we no longer continue the journey because we see the dragon there or it literally just kills us in the failure of trying to defeat it over and over and over again. You see this all throughout the scriptures. I mean, this story is repeated in the scriptures over and over and over again. Probably the most notable place is found in Exodus chapter 12. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open with me there. In fact, let's go over one to Exodus chapter 13. 
And so many of you probably know this story. In fact, you probably have it memorized or you've probably taught on it, I'm sure. But there's this moment in which the Israelites are enslaved to Egypt and Moses comes back as their emancipator to set them free. And Pharaoh is not having it. He's saying, no way, they're not going set free. I need these people to build my kingdom. I don't know who you think you are. And so God rains down plagues on Egypt. And there's the water turns to blood. There's locusts that overtake the field. Frogs invade the area. It finally comes down to this last plague where the firstborn of every single Egyptian is killed by the angel of death. And after all this ordeal, Pharaoh says, now you can go. Fine, please get out of here. I would love nothing more than for you to get out of our land to stop this craziness that's taking place on us. And it's interesting because in Exodus chapter 12, as they're preparing to leave, it gives us some really important information. It tells us that Israel had been there in Egypt enslaved for 430 years. That was the span of time that they had been enslaved. 430 years, which is roughly anywhere from 10 to 12 generations of people. I mean, we're going like great, 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 great grandmothers were enslaved. And here we are about to be set free into what's next. And so they pack up all their belongings and they leave after 430 years of slavery. And let's pick it up in Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. We're going to read a bunch here, so... It says this, When the Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road towards the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made his sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham at the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them as a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to guide them, uh, to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar or the cloud of day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Hithroth between Magigal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephron. Pharaoh will think the Israelites were wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people have fled. Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took with him, took his army with him and he took 600 men of the best chariots along with all of the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, horsemen, and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped on the sea near Pi-Hithroth, opposite Baal-Zephron. And Pharaoh approached the Israelites, looked up, and there was the Egyptians marching in on them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? 
Did we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm. You will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see again, and the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now, it's a very interesting place that the Egyptians or the Israelites find themselves here. And it's a rather odd response that the Israelites have as they see the Egyptians pursuing them here as they're camped kind of on the edge of the ocean. They're looking out over at this big sea that they have in front of them going, how on earth are we going to get past this? And on this side, they have the Egyptians coming at them, ready to overtake them. And it's kind of a strange response that they have as they find themselves in between a rock and a hard place here. They start to complain. Uh, to Moses about the situation that they found them in. I mean, now if you think about the situation, they had just seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle take place. I mean, they saw these 12 plagues overcome the greatest nation on the planet to the point where Pharaoh was like, let them go. They saw the firstborn of every single Egyptian killed right there in front of them, and God had just set them free. You would have thought that would have been a huge faith builder, right? <laughs> like, yeah, let's go take on the world. We can do this. This is going to be awesome. But as soon as they get outside of their little camp and they find themselves stuck, all of a sudden it's like, why didn't you just let us die in Egypt? Didn't we tell you we didn't really want this? I mean, at least back there we had food and water and we were taken care of. Those, you know, the whippings weren't so bad. The enslavement wasn't so bad now that we really think about it. I mean, we really kind of had a really good deal in Egypt when you think about the whole package. And here we are now left to die right here by the Red Sea. Moses, what on earth have you done to us? And it's a strange response when you think about all that they had just been through. See, the thing is that they had been enslaved as a nation for 430 years, 10 generations. All they had ever known was slavery. That was their normal. It was their life. It was the very thing that they had expected. And to some degree, it was comfortable for them. It was predictable. It was easy. It was what they knew. I had the opportunity to go to uh, Bali, Indonesia a few years back, and we went to an elephant training ground, which was really cool to see these huge elephants being trained. And they had everything from baby elephants to large elephants. And they talked about how somehow in the wild, these elephants are some of the most dangerous creatures because they'll just trample through villages. I mean, they'll, they'll literally just floor villages, trampling through them in the middle of the night with no warning. They'll kill children and families. They'll just trample through the place, and it's leveled. And so I was asking them about how on earth they train these elephants so you can jump on top of them and ride them and they don't, they don't trample the place down. How on earth do you do this with these massive creatures? And they said, it's actually really simple. When they're born, we tie a rope to one leg and we tie the other part of the rope to a tree. It's about 10 feet. And we just let them live on that rope for a year. We feed them. We clean up their poop from there. We give them water. We entertain them in this little 10-foot circle around this tree. And then after a year, we take off that rope, and they'll never leave the tree. They're completely free. Then they'll just circle around that tree. They'll stay there. They'll stay captive. And, and they keep them in that confined space for another year, even though they are completely capable of running away, trampling the place. It's because they're mentally shackled to that tree. And then after that year, 
They will literally do whatever the master tells them to. They walk them from place to place, but as soon as they put them back to that tree, they will not leave that tree. They're, they're mentally connected to that space. And I thought about how often in life we find ourselves in that space. I think the Israelites had found themselves there, where all they ever knew was slavery. All they ever knew was how to be controlled and run over by the Egyptians, to be fed and to be protected, but also to give everything they had to this cruel master known as Pharaoh. And even when they were given their freedom, and they were said, hey, you're, you're, you can go. You're free to go. You're free to, to live the life that you were designed to live. Even in the middle of all of that, that they still find themselves in the space going, well, wait a minute, it was way more comfortable over there. It was easier in, in Egypt. Why are we out here so far away from the very place that kept us here? See, because Egypt looked like a better option when faced with this dragon known as the Red Sea in front of them. Enslavement looked like the better option rather than stepping into this because at least they knew what slavery was going to bring them. And I think this is what happens to us so often in life with our dragons. We come up against them and it's like, we, we know what's out there. We, we know the, the life that God is calling us to, the bigger picture, and yet there is this dragon that holds us captive that's so familiar, that's so easy. And if it wasn't working, it, it would be all right. But the fact of the matter is, we look at the things that we stay shackled to in life rather than going off and facing the dragon. The, the things that, that we stay chained to and enslaved to. And we look at this and we go, how on earth could this be an attractive option to us? This smaller, insignificant, enslaved life. Whether it's to sin or to... I mean, I think about it like this. How many times do we find ourselves recreating the same relational breakdowns over and over and over again? Shackled to the same place. How often do we find ourselves in the exact same patterns of sin or the exact same patterns of laziness or the exact same patterns of having the thing over and over and over again and we look at it going, this doesn't work. This is awful. And yet, we are set free. To some degree, we keep choosing the enslavement rather than going out and having the life that God has called us to live. We make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And we wonder why on earth we keep finding ourselves in this place. See, because staying shackled over here looks like a more attractive option than going out and slaying the dragon that's in front of us. Staying enslaved over here looks like a more attractive option than going out and living the life that we have to live to take on the battle that is necessary to move ahead. See, all human behavior, there's some neuroscience done around this, all human behavior is motivated by one of two things, avoiding pain or gaining rewards. All human behavior, it comes down to that. Everything that you do, I guarantee you, is because of one of two things. It's either to avoid pain or to gain some type of reward. You go to work because probably both. You, you gain some type of reward at the end of the two weeks and you don't want to be homeless in the end of the day. You, you take out the trash because you're getting some type of reward or avoiding some type of pain. You get up every single day. I can guarantee you every single action that you take is designed to either get you something or to keep you away from pain. 
And see, the thing is, is that the dragon that we have to slay, the, the thing that we have to overcome in order to take our life to the next level, it looks unpredictable. It looks like it's going to take us out of control. It's going to take us into unknown territory. We, we may not look good. We may not feel good. It, it does not look very attractive when we look at it. In fact, when we look at it, we go, that's a lot of pain, and it doesn't look like there's a lot of rewards over there. So I'm going to avoid it at all costs. I would rather stay enslaved over here because at least over here it's predictable. At least over here, it looks the same every single day. And we wonder why God doesn't ever show up in a dynamic way in our lives. Well, why there's something missing between us and God. It's because God rarely meets us in the comfortable, safe, predictable places. He doesn't meet us in the places often where we would rather be enslaved, where there is freedom. See, God meets us in the middle of battling the dragon. When God only shows up, when we are actually willing to step out of the places that are safe and comfortable and predictable into the unknown, the unpredictable, the places where faith is necessary to live out the life that he has called us to live. And I love in the beginning of this passage, it shows us God's intention for us here with the Israelites. See, because it starts out with this in verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was the shorter route. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. See, there was actually a quite shorter route to the promised land. In fact, the route took about 10 days walking. If you, if you just look on a map and do all the ge geographic kind of calculations... From Egypt, where they were enslaved, to the Promised Land was about a 10-day journey. But it was a journey through a land filled with giants. It was a journey through a land filled with the Philistines. And God looked at them and he said, you know what? That dragon is too big for the Israelites. That, that's going to take them out. They're going to look at that and they're going to go, yeah, that's not happening, not even at all. I don't even know what you're thinking. Let's go back immediately. Well, let's not even attempt this. Let's just stay right where we're at. But see, the thing is, the dragon was never a problem for God. It wasn't like God was going, man, okay, I had this plan. I know I was supposed to set you free and get you to your promised land. I totally forgot that the Philistines and the giants were in the way. Dang it, what was I thinking? <laughs> see, see, the dragons are never a problem for God. They're never even a thought in his mind. They're not even a consideration in the plans that he has for our life. But God looked at that 10-day journey and he said, it's going to take him out. He knew that they were not up for that. And so out of love for them, he sends them on another journey, which took them 40 years wandering through the desert, and out of his compassion for their fear, and out of his generous love, out of their insecurities, he said, you know what? I won't take you the 10-day route. I'll take you the 40-year route. And in that process, I'm going to kill off generation after generation so that they will forget what it's like to be enslaved and they will be able to take the 10-day journey. That will only take them just a moment. 
Because they will no longer be enslaved to the things that enslaved you. They will no longer be afraid of the things that you are afraid of. They will know that I am a God who is faithful and who is with them and who overcomes the dragons time after time after time. See, I wonder for so many of us, how many of us God is saying, hey, the the destination that you're longing for, it's right here. It's a 10-day walk. It's, it's right here. I promise you, if you just keep walking, uh, uh, you'll get there. All, all the things that you look at it and go, they're impossible, they're too big to overcome, the relationships that look like they're, they're too big to find healing in, the wounds from your past that look like they have grips on you, that they, they're never going to be able to be overmounted, all the insecurities and the fears and the circumstances that you look at and go, no way. God's just like, yeah, no, 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 it's a 10-day walk, just come with me, I promise And I wonder for how many of us, God just sends us on the 40-year route, waiting for us to release our slave mentality of what has us held captive. Of saying, hey, if you want to go the 40-year route, great. I'll get you there eventually, but there's going to be a lot of wasted time. There's going to be a lot of wasted opportunity. There's going to be a lot of wasted years that you could have been living in the promised land. It could have been yours in 10 days. And instead, I will wait until that slave mentality has worn off of you. See, we forget who we were called to be. We will forget who we are called to be. And we're called to be heroes. I mean, the Scriptures call us conquerors. More than conquerors. He, he, call, he calls us champions. Like the ones who have already overcome. And yet, we choose to live the smaller life. But the strange thing is, is that if you look at a map, God could have easily taken them down, way down past the Red Sea and wandered around for a little bit, but he still gave them a little dragon. He gave them the smaller dragon known as the Red Sea. I mean, if you really, if you look at a map, if God's intention was going, okay, the 10-day route's not going to work for them, what's the easiest way to get there? Let's just go all the way down around the Red Sea and then back up so they don't have to face any problems whatsoever. And yet he still gives them the Red Sea. And we know the story. They, they stand there, Moses holds up his staff, and they walk across on dry land. And as the Egypts come in, the waters crash in on them, and God receives the glory in the middle of that. But the question remains, why still have the Red Sea? If God's trying to make things comfortable for them, why would he even put them there? See, here's the thing. While the hero's journey uh, would be easier without the dragons, it would be easier without the, the things to overcome, there would be no heroes if there were no dragons. There would be no heroes if there were no dragons. There would be no conquerors if there were, thing, there were no things to conquer. There would be no overcomers if there was nothing to overcome. So the dragons have great intention in our story. They're placed there with great intention by God for us. See, he didn't let the Egyptians off, or the Israelites off. He didn't say, hey, you're just going to get to coast through. He said, now I'm going to give you just a smaller dragon here. Once you overcome that, then we'll get to the next one. We'll take the baby step route rather than the 10-day route. And I think in Romans... Paul gives us such a great um, view as to why these dragons are in our life. So if you turn with me to Romans chapter 5, it's a passage of Scripture that I love. It reminds us why the dragons are even there. 
Why we even have them in the first place. Why, why they exist for us. And in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice with the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. I, I, if you're like a formula person for life, if you ever like... If you're anything like me, I'm just like, give me the formula and I'll do the formula, right? There are very few moments in the scriptures where we get that. And this is one of those where he says, here is the formula for the life that you are longing for. It's step by step by step. It's it's Paul's like four-step process to a better life. Here it is. He, He begins with this. He says, rejoice in your sufferings. Now, this never shows up like a good four-step program because the very first step that it comes with, right? Uh, um, one of my mentors who just passed away recently, his name is Dallas Willard, and he, he, he always would use this statement. He, he would say, in life, you just get to pick your pain. You, you don't get to pick if there's pain. You get to pick your pain. And we are always in the process of picking our pain. The human story, the human experience is one filled with great joy and great pain all the time. Can't get away from it. And he always used to say, you know what, there's one type of pain that comes from avoiding the call of God on your life. And it's a pain that looks like disappointment and depression and living a smaller version, knowing that there was always something more available and never reaching for it. It's the pain that comes with playing small. There's that pain. But then there's this other pain that comes with actually facing the dragons, that faith comes with facing the things that are in the way between us and the life that God has called us to. Facing the relationships. Facing the circumstances. Facing the spiritual things that we have to overcome. Facing the sin. Facing the things that are in the way between us. And the vision that God dreams for our life. And what Paul says here is, look, rejoice in this suffering. This suffering is kind of wimpy over here, you know. The, the, the sit on the sofa all day and watch the, the, the soap operas and, and kind, of, kind of live a small version of your life. He said, he said, well, when you start to face your dragons and it burns, I mean, it stings. It feels like you're going down with the ship and you don't know how on earth you're going to get out of this. Just rejoice in this suffering. <laughs> and that's step one. Rejoice in this great suffering as you begin this hero's journey towards the life that God has called you to live. Because... This suffering is going to produce a characteristic that is found in so few people in the world. And it's called perseverance. I've noticed that especially in our generation. I won't even say my generation. I'll just say the generation that is living today. That, <laughs> that, that perseverance is a lost characteristic of the soul. That perseverance is a lost characteristic that defines who we are. If faithfulness is doing the right thing over and over and over again, perseverance is doing the right thing over and over and over again when it's difficult. See, because it's, it's kind of easy in the beginning to be faithful. 
I, I mean, I think about all the diets that I've ever been on in my life, and it's kind of easy to be faithful for three days. Everyone, everyone been there before? You know, you go, you go on a diet, and say, I'm going to get healthy, right? It's easy for three days to, you know, get your salad and your water and your chicken breast and broccoli and all that stuff. It's easy for three days. Where the rubber meets the road is when that third day you're driving home from work and you pass by In-N-Out, right? <laughs> and I don't know why it is when you're on a diet, but the smells become so much more intense, right? And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, stay strong. <laughs> Remember your training, right? And, and, and all of a sudden that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where faithfulness moves to something called perseverance when it's difficult, when it's tested, when, you, when you're going, this stinks, I don't want to be here anymore, I want to go back to Egypt, because at least Egypt was predictable. At least Egypt was safe. At least we got bread and water there. At least we knew what was going to happen every single day. We woke up, we made bricks, we got whipped, we went to bed. At, le- at least we knew what was going on. Here I feel like everything's being turned upside down. It's difficult. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. It seems like things are getting crazier and crazier rather than easier and easier. It's in that place that this characteristic known as perseverance is built within you. And as perseverance, doing what's right over and over again, even when it's difficult, it produces this thing called character. Now, if you've grown up in the church, character is a big word that has had a lot of conversation around it. And oftentimes, when I think of character, when someone says, we're going to work on your character, it almost sounds like we're going to make sure that all of you act and look and behave the same way. Because this is the way things should be. And if you're anything like me, I rebel against anything that sounds like conformity or uniformity. <laughs> I was like, not going to do that. But the word character is a fascinating word. If you think about the word character, when you say, oh, that person is such a character, what you're saying is that person stands out among every single other person. In fact, we, we call the letters in our alphabet characters, like Chinese characters, or the 26 letters in our alphabet are called characters. The word character means a defining mark, a unique defining mark. And so each of the 26 letters of our characters of our alphabet, well, when you see a B, that character, you know that that defining mark is going to say B, right? Well, when you see the defining mark of the character L, you know that goes L. And L doesn't sound like a B because they are two different defining marks. They are two different characters. And the fascinating thing about character is that as you rejoice in your suffering as you endure the hardships that come with slaying your dragon. It begins to produce perseverance within you. And the longer you stay in that perseverance, that your character is developed. You become more and more like the person of Christ, but your uniqueness is then released. The, the gift that you are, the mark that you are on the world becomes more and more unique and refined. The gift and the uniqueness that you are is only expressed in that context. So you begin to to develop this thing called character in the middle of that. Your unique mark on the world comes out. And as you begin to produce this thing called character, you live in that. It's refined. It's shaped by the fire. Then you have this thing called hope. I mean, when, when Paul puts it like that, it seems like, oh, that's an obvious pathway to hope, right? It's the four-step process to hope. 
If that was the case, why don't we all live hope-filled lives? I mean, I mean if, if you're a follower of Jesus and this is the pathway, it seems like it would be the most obvious thing that we would just constantly be living in hope. And yet when I look around the world, I see people who are constantly consumed by hopelessness. That are constantly consumed that tomorrow is not going to look as good as yesterday or the day before. And it seems like we are not a people marked by hope. We are a people marked by hopelessness and passionlessness. It's because that we never equate that the dragons were put in our life as a pathway to hope. That the things that were put in our life to overcome, to challenge, to battle, they were put in our life as the pathway to hope and to passion. That as we begin to battle those things, as we begin to step into the arena with overcoming those things, that is where hope is found. Have you ever wondered how, how two people can go through the exact same thing and come out on the other side different? I have two friends who, who both grew up in really, really abusive households. Same household, they're, they're brother and sister. I mean, they went through the same crazy household. Dad was a drug addict and molested both of them. Mom was actually a prostitute. And it was a crazy situation that they, they I mean, they grew up in a dragon-filled environment. And one of them is just out serving the world in such a huge capacity. I mean, their life is expanded to serve so many people. And the other one, their life has literally gone back to the place that they were grown up in. They're addicted to drugs. They find themselves with multiple partners. Their life's a mess. And I look at the two of them, and I, I sat down with the guy who was kind of out there, and his life seems to be working. I said, what happened? Like, was it different for the two of you? He said, no, I actually got it worse. And he said, the problem is, is that she allowed the dragon to overtake her. And I allowed it to shape me. She allowed the dragon to define who she was going to be. She allowed it to overtake her and move her down. I just endured the suffering and allowed it to shape my character. I allowed it to shape who I was, knowing that one day this was going to be the pathway to give my life away to the world. And, and he can connect to so many different people like, like nobody's business because he endured the suffering it produced perseverance. It created character. And now he has hope in a world that is filled with hopelessness. See, hope is what you find when you step into your God-given potential. After you've overcome your dragons, after you've persevered and your character has been transformed, you know what you're capable of because you know what he's capable of in you. You've been through the Red Sea. You've been through the giants with him. You've been through the Philistines with him. You have overcome the slavery with him. And you know who you are when you are connected to a God who says, we, let's go slay the dragons. Let's go take them on. Let's go overcome because you were designed to live in hope. You were designed so that your defining mark on the world would leave an imprint every single place you go to. And then Paul continues in Romans 5, starting in verse 6 there. After he's given us this, after he's given us this four steps to a life filled with hope, right? Endure and rejoice in the suffering. It will produce perseverance. Perseverance will produce character, and character will eventually produce hope. He then says this in verse 6. You see, all just the right, uh, you see, at just the right time, 
when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, here's the thing. Love is the only thing that will awaken the heroic spirit in you to go take on the dragons. Love is the defining characteristic of the movement of Jesus. And the more your life connects to Jesus, the more love will become part of your internal story. And love is what not only awakens the heroic spirit within you that God is calling you to live into, but it's what sustains you on the journey. It's what keeps you moving forward. It's the only force that will cause you to risk your comfort and your security and what's predictable to go out and take on something bigger. It's the only thing that will move you beyond yourself. Because here's the thing, final thing, is that slaying the dragon is never really just about you. It's never really just about you. See, in the moment we think it's all about us, It's just me and this dragon, right? It's just me and this relationship that I have to overcome. It's just me and this circumstance or the finances or whatever's going on in life. It's me and this sin. It's me and this habit. It's me and this crazy roadblock that I have between me and there. But it's never just you and it and God. It's never actually about you. See, in the stories of old, the hero slays the dragon to win the princess, right? The conqueror overcomes the great battle to win the prize at the end. And see, oftentimes as Christians, I think we've gotten it so wrong because we think the prize or the princess or the treasure is heaven. It's not. I mean, that that eventually comes. Don't worry. But but I, I don't think that that is actually the prize that is received when we overcome the dragons. See, See, because here's the thing. When Jesus was overcoming the dragon of death in his life, he, when he looked out and saw the dragon that he was to slay, I mean, he was sweating blood over it. He was freaking out. It wasn't like, it wasn't like when he was being carried to the cross, he was just like this heroic, like, here I go, it's going to be wonderful. I mean, he was begging God. Please don't let this happen. I don't want to go out there. It's way easier to stay here. Is there any other way? Please, just tell me. Do I have to go slay this dragon? But the only reason that he went to slay this dragon was for you. The the only thing that called him into this heroic moment to go save the world was because he realized that on the other side, there was a bigger picture of tons of people that we're going to be ransomed through this action. That that we're going to be saved through him slaying the giant. See, it was him defeating his giant of death that we found life in it. See, slaying the dragon is never, ever actually about you. It's about the generations to come after you. It's about the people that are affected when you overcome your dragon. 
It's about the, the people at your work that look at you and go, wow, how on earth did you overcome that? How on earth did you get through this impossible Red Sea? How on earth did you get through the land of the giants? How on earth did you defeat the Philistines? How on earth did you overcome this? And you become the living testimony of a God that overcomes. You become the living testimony of the God who brings hope in the middle of the battle. See, overcoming the dragon is never just about you. Love awakens your spirit to go take on the dragon, but love also looks past it and says, wow, there is more to come. There is more available on the other side. See, so often, even in the middle of our battles, we become so selfish and arrogant to think that this is just about me. When God's saying, you don't get it. (laughs) It's not about you. You're going to get a lot of benefit from overcoming this, but it's going to be the hundreds of people on the other side that will look at your life and will find life through me because you have overcome. See, I think far too often people look at people who call themselves followers of Christ and they have no reason to follow Christ because they have no reason to look to us for hope. They look at us and go, why would I follow your God because you're just as hopeless as I am? And God is whispering to us, go take the dragon. Go overcome. Go go take it down so that you can persevere, have your character transformed and lived in hope so that the world may know that I am the God who has come to take over so that love may prevail in the end. See, it's interesting. In the beginning of this passage in Exodus, it's interesting because God has Moses do something very, very strange. I've always wondered why God does this. In Exodus, he, he actually tells Moses, go dig up the bones of Joseph and bring them with you. Don't leave them in Egypt. Go to the grave where Joseph was. <laughs> dig them up and bring them with you. And I don't know, that's a very strange thing to do, to, to go dig up the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather's bones and bring them with you as you're trying to flee your oppressor, right, in the middle of this. But, but see, Joseph actually gave them explicit instructions. He, he said, look, when you get out of Egypt, you're going to take me with you. So every generation will know, okay, we're still enslaved, Joseph's here. We're still enslaved, Joseph's bones are here. We're still enslaved, Joseph's bones are here. But taking up Joseph's bones and saying, we are taking him with us, was a declaration that now generations have been released from slavery. From the moment that Joseph said, you're not supposed to stay here. You're just supposed to get in and out. But someone decided that slavery looked better. And here Moses says, it's time to take up Joseph's bones and to go take on the dragons that are in front of us. See, we have to begin thinking about who are the generations after us that are going to be affected, who are the people after us that are going to be affected because of the dragons that we choose to take on. See, there are red seas that you have to cross. There are dragons that you have to take over. But it's not about you. It's about the love that's going to be created for others and the hope that's going to be demonstrated for them. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you do not leave us to live small, empty, meaningless lives.
but You've placed within us this desire to live a life bigger than ourselves. We can't help it. It's just part of our DNA of our soul. And God, us for the times that we have betrayed that calling to live the life that You have called us to live, the heroic adventure to go take on the dragons that You've placed within us. Father, allow us now to be awakened by Your love to go and live out the life You've called us to live, to slay the dragons, to revel in the suffering of it, so that noticing the perseverance that it's created and the unique mark that comes out and the hope that we get to live in. God, not just for us, but so that others may look at our lives and see that You are the God of hope, that You are the God of possibilities, that You are the God that overcomes, that You are the God that sets us free from even the slavery that takes place in our own minds. So we thank You that, that You have come. Would You now just set us free? Call us into the life that You've called us to live. I just pray over uh, the members of Genesis, the family, that there would be a holy discontent with what is. There would be a stirring and that there would be a, uh, an uncomfortableness with status quo. And, and remaining uh, in what there is now. But you would give them a new vision that would be painful in the process, but that it would produce hope all around them, God. That thousands of people might be affected as this community steps into places of hope, as they endure the dragons, as they overcome and they see new things happen, God. Awake our souls to the life you've called us to live. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much.